The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by DXC Technology. Let us show you the way to your digital future. Thrive on change. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, March 19th. In today's news, President Trump gambles his re-election on what could be $2 trillion in coronavirus bailouts. Jared Kushner has a potential conflict of interest as he exerts more control over the government's response to the pandemic. And while European governments rush to stock up on critically needed ventilators, states and hospitals here say they've been told they're on their own. But first, the big idea. A senior scientist at a government biomedical research laboratory has been thwarted in his efforts to conduct experiments on possible treatments for the new coronavirus because of the Trump administration's restrictions on research with human fetal tissue. The scientist, Kim Hassenkrug, an immunologist at the National Institutes of Health who works in their Rocky Mountain lab in Montana, has been appealing for nearly a month now to top NIH officials, arguing that this pandemic warrants an exemption to a ban imposed last year prohibiting government researchers from using tissue from abortions in their work. According to several researchers familiar with the situation, such experiments could be particularly fruitful. Just months ago, before the new virus began to infect people around the world, other U.S. scientists made two highly relevant discoveries. They found that specialized mice could be transplanted with human fetal tissue that develops into lungs, the part of the body the new coronavirus invades. These humanized mice could then be infected with the coronavirus, to which ordinary mice are not susceptible, closely related to the one that causes the new disease, COVID-19. Outside researchers said the scientists who created those mice have offered to give them to the Rocky Mountain Lab, which has access to the new virus that causes COVID-19, so that the mice could be infected with the source of the pandemic and experiments could be run on potential treatments. Candidates include an existing drug known to boost patients' immune systems in other circumstances, as well as blood serum from patients recovering from COVID-19. Caitlin Oakley, a spokeswoman for the Department of Health and Human Services, which includes NIH, says no final decisions have been made about the request. Hassan Krug has been forbidden, though, by Trump political appointees from speaking publicly about his research since Trump began to reconsider fetal tissue funding rules in the fall of 2018 at the prodding of social conservative activists, a key part of Trump's base. The fetal tissue is donated by women undergoing elective abortions. Critics say it's unethical to use the material and that taxpayer money shouldn't be used for research that relies on abortion. But a scientist familiar with this whole Donnybrook told my colleague Amy Goldstein that when he hears Vice President Pence saying they're doing everything they can to find vaccines and treatments, he knows that is just not true. This person says anything we do at this point could save hundreds of thousands of lives. And if we wait, it could be too late. Irving Weissman, a leading stem cell researcher at Stanford University, said, quote, it's stupid not to try this approach even if we don't know what exactly it will yield. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines related to the federal government's response that should be on your radar. Number one, the coronavirus is redefining Trump's presidency eight months before he stands for re-election. 
as he wagers that the potentially largest rescue package in U.S. history could protect the American people from the economic carnage brought on by this pandemic. Trump will be tested at the ballot box in November not only by his management of the public health crisis, but also his ability to navigate what the president himself says will likely be a recession, a challenge that's reviving the decade-long debate over the use of public money to prop up private businesses. The administration yesterday outlined a $1 trillion plan, which includes $500 billion in cash payments to individual Americans and $300 billion towards helping small businesses, as well as $50 billion for airlines and $150 billion for unspecified other sectors, likely to include hotels and cruise ships. Trump's hastily crafted stimulus, which has won early support from most Republican lawmakers, marks a sea change on the political right. A lot of these people in Congress got elected in 2010 by running against the bailout of the financial industry during the 2008 financial crisis and their opposition to Barack Obama's stimulus package in 2009. When aides presented Trump with a $850 billion proposal, Trump encouraged them to up it to $1 trillion because he thought that was a more impressive number. The Obama administration's stimulus, for a point of comparison, was $800 billion, and TARP, the Bush bailout, was $700 billion. All told, between several legislative packages that have already advanced on Capitol Hill and other actions the government has taken, a senior administration official tells us that the White House is pushing an economic recovery plan that is, quote, well north of $2 trillion and counting. The official says Trump doesn't care at all about the national debt, which has already surged from $20 trillion to $23 trillion on his watch. Instead, this person says he cares about the markets and unemployment. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell about 1,400 points yesterday, or 6.3%, virtually wiping out all of the stock market's remaining gains during Trump's entire presidency. The president told reporters at a briefing yesterday afternoon that under a worst-case scenario, the unemployment rate could jump to 20%, twice its peak during the financial crisis. And a new J.P. Morgan Chase research note predicts that our economy will shrink by 14% between April and June. That's the worst contraction in post-World War II history. Another advisor to Trump who has discussed this matter with the president says he does not believe any voters will be concerned about adding to the debt. And the Senate voted last night with fewer than 10 no votes to approve the House passed bill that would spend some $100 billion on paid leave, unemployment insurance, and free testing to people affected by the fallout. The vote sent the legislation to Trump, who promptly signed it, and then the White House followed up a few hours later by sending Congress a new emergency funding request for $46 billion to help the Defense Department, the VA, the NIH, and the CDC. Number two, Jared Kushner, President Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor, has created his own team of government allies and private industry representatives to work alongside the administration's official coronavirus task force. This has added another layer of confusion and conflicting signals within the White House's already disjointed response to the crisis. Kushner, who joined the administration's efforts just last week on the coronavirus, is primarily focused on attempting to set up drive-through testing sites with the help of technology and retail executives, as well as experts in healthcare delivery. He says his goal is to have limited testing in a handful of cities running by tomorrow and to expand the project from there. But Kushner's team is causing confusion among many senior officials involved in the response who say they're unsure who's in charge given Kushner's dual role as a senior advisor and a member of the Trump family. Some have privately dubbed his team the Shadow Task Force, whose requests they interpret as orders they must balance with the regular response effort. And Kushner regularly briefs the president separately from the rest of the task force. 
Some members of Kushner's team are working out of offices on the seventh floor of HHS headquarters, which is one floor above the office of HHS Secretary Alex Azar, who's largely been sidelined, while others are working out of an office in the West Wing of the White House. Now, among the people on the Kushner team are several representatives of some of the biggest corporations in the country. There are representatives from UPS and FedEx and Flatiron Health. Two senior U.S. government officials say they've become increasingly confused because they're receiving emails from these private industry employees who are on Kushner's team, and they're being told to have conference calls with them, but they're unsure what their exact role is and whether they should be listening to them. Should government scientists be taking orders from representatives of private companies who are also simultaneously looking for bailouts? Several people involved in the response said the involvement of these outside advisors who are emailing large groups of government employees from private email addresses raises legitimate security concerns about whether these advisors are following proper government protocols. Kushner defended his role in an interview with my colleagues on the White House beat, saying he's trying to bring an entrepreneurial approach to this crisis. Kushner also said he's closely collaborating with Vice President Pence, who's officially in charge of the response. He said they talk 10 times a day. Now, one potential conflict of interest for Kushner here is the fact that Oscar, a health insurance company co-founded by his younger brother, Joshua, just last week launched its own digital portal that helps direct people to virus testing centers and assess their own risk of becoming infected. A spokeswoman for Joshua Kushner's company did not respond to our request for comment, including about whether Oscar plans to seek a government contract from the Trump administration. Similarly, Trump's own companies could stand to benefit massively in the millions of dollars from the bailout for hotels that Trump has suggested support for. Rest assured, this is something we'll keep tracking. Number three, supply chain experts and health researchers say hospitals are holding back from ordering more medical ventilators because of the high cost for what may be only a short-term spike in demand from the coronavirus epidemic. This is intensifying an anticipated shortage of life-saving equipment for patients who become critically ill. Mechanical ventilators, which help patients breathe or breathe for them, are critical to our nation's efforts to contain the worst effects of the pandemic and avoid what's happening in Italy. Remember, the virus kills us by going after our lungs and making it hard to breathe. Depending on how bad this gets here, individual cities could come up thousands of ventilators short as patients flood hospitals. A model from the Harvard School of Public Health says that in a worst-case scenario, there could be seven times as many people needing ventilators as there are available in the U.S. Now, these ventilators range from $25,000 for the most basic model to $50,000 for a machine used in the most advanced intensive care units, ICUs. Other governments, especially in Europe, are fully mobilizing to stock up on these ventilators. The United Kingdom has asked Rolls-Royce Holdings, which normally makes jet engines, and other heavy manufacturers in their country to stop production of normal products so that they can ramp up production of ventilators. They're treating this like they're really on a war footing, not just rhetoric. The German government yesterday ordered 10,000 ventilators from Draugerwerk AG, that's the company's largest order ever. Chancellor Angela Merkel told her people in a televised address last night from Berlin that this is the biggest crisis facing Germany since World War II. But here in the United States, Trump told state officials on a conference call that states and local governments should procure their own ventilators and other medical equipment. Try getting them yourselves, Trump told the governors on Monday. 
The Trump administration has barely begun to release up to 13,000 older ventilator models that are cached around the country in the federal strategic national stockpile. They say state officials haven't formally requested them. And it's not just ventilators. Shortages of face masks, swabs, and other basic supplies pose a profound challenge to testing. At major hospitals from Seattle to Washington, D.C., mask shortages have already become so acute that doctors and patients are being asked to reuse masks and not dispose of them as previous traditional CDC protocol requires, even after they've come into contact with patients who are confirmed to be infected with the coronavirus. Many labs have complained about shortages and back orders of reagents. Those are the chemical solutions that are key components of testing kits. The reagents are used to isolate the genetic material from the virus. And many of the doctors and nurses that we've been talking to across the country who are fighting this pandemic on the front lines acknowledge that they're terrified of infecting their own families. As physicians contend with a burgeoning angst that for some has begun to manifest in nightmares, many have begun to draw up wills or they've placed themselves into makeshift quarantines. They're sleeping in hotel rooms, in garages, and in basements in hopes that they won't infect their spouses or their kids. These are our heroes, and hopefully they feel the gratitude of a grateful nation. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, March 19th. Thanks as always for listening. I'm James Homan. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow.